Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. I'm your host, Josh Miles. I'm a designer, principal, and brand strategist at Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Today on Obsessed with Design, we've got something a little bit different. Michael Jefferson from Fjord talks to us about service design. So Michael talks through a lot of the processes and how Fjord views service design, their philosophies. And we actually spend a lot of time talking about voice as an interface today. So without further ado, I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Michael Jefferson. Okay, guys, today I am excited to welcome all the way from Miami, Florida, instead of his usual home in San Francisco, Michael Jefferson, whose group design director at Fjord. Michael, welcome to Obsessed with Design. Oh, thank you. It's great to be on with you. So, Michael, I, you know, we, we've had all kinds of different designers on the show here from, you know, process design to graphic design, architecture, interior, uh, you know, product designers. But Fjord is really kind of in the, in the service and digital product design space. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Service design is the central focus here. Cool. I I definitely want to come back and unpack what you guys do and what service design means and how perhaps that's similar to design thinking or, you know, where that kind of falls in the, in the continuum of the design world. But, but maybe before we jump into all that detail, I always love to have our guests unpack a little bit of their origin story and how they found their way into this professional world of designing. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'd love to give a little background. I think I um, can take it back to growing up as a kid. I was one of those curious types that always took everything apart in their house, um, you know, and left it somewhat in pieces. It was always the idea of trying to find out and explore, you know, how things work or what make them tick. And if I did put it together, I usually put it back together in some other form or with a couple other, you know, additional parts and things to it. So, I was, you know, always curious by nature like that. And the field of, you know, sort of designing and making uh, products and that kind of thing wasn't something that was necessarily a connection, you know, I made at a a younger age. I I had a couple different interests. I was always this um, person trying to understand how things work. And then, you know, when I first picked up my first camera, I think my grandfather gave me one of those little 110 cameras with a little flash bar that you could Mm -hmm. stick on it. you know, I then became super interested in capturing uh, photographs and stories. So I had these two kind of connections, making things and photographing. And that carried my way on through like undergraduate and and studies. And for a long time as an undergrad, I kind of thought I was in between two worlds. I uh, learned about making and doing sculpture and furniture making. And then I uh, was pursuing documentary film. And took a path down one side of that, which was more the film end and documentary. So I had an had an earlier career doing content um, production for the Discovery Channel, and I actually wound up with a being the producer of a television show on fly fishing, like an adventure travel program. And it's an interesting arc that 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 career path took me to the Bay Area in San Francisco, and as a storyteller and kind of, um, you know, television show and filmmaker, uh, I learned how to hone the skills of listening to people, understanding um, what they're thinking and turning it into a compelling story. And the industry in around San Francisco has started to take an interesting turn with the whole dot-com boom and there being a real need to figure out where content lives, but it would was a story of how do you make something? Um, you know, how do you make something that can be on the air? How do you make streaming media? Um, and so I just had this kind of convergence naturally happen geographically where I lived in San Francisco is always having this interest in making and then being this kind of storyteller media person. Uh, and like a lot of people in that era, you know, I found a home in the digital space, um, piecing all those different things together. And that was when I first became probably the most excited and exposed to digital design as we think of it, you know, here today, multidisciplinary teams taking on challenges that are much bigger than themselves and haven't been figured out before. And 
I became just very, very drawn to that problem solving side of it as a whole. So I, I came in as kind of a listener and observer. I found a lot of places to apply that in design research. Um, but I also had kind of the spatial thinking of everything from, from sculpture and a little bit of studio art and form background and composition. And so it had kind of a, a, a natural pace to it from there. So it seems to me almost like um, your early beginnings sound a lot like what I've heard engineers tell me their their first thoughts and memories were about how they got into the profession. So have you ever thought about yourself in, in that terms, like it's kind of this sort of engineering slash design mind? Yeah, it, it possibly, you know, it, I mean, hearing it back in that sense, uh, it probably make I understand why I'm where I am, too, because it would be the engineering mindset a little bit without the math skills. So <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like the kind of engineering that I could get behind. Exactly. Leave it a little bit more more open ended. And in fact, when I did when I did finally discover more of the side of this, um, you know, product creation and, and innovation side was when I just, when I wanted to really kind of take some time out and double down on the design aspect of it. And I went to NYU's ITP program. And that, that's a little bit of how I'd even classify that one, too. It's, you know, it's full of uh, engineers and coders, but, but artists and, and a little bit of everything, you know, like just full on creativity. So, yeah, it makes sense that I wound up in that, in that program as well. Well, maybe we could fast forward a little bit today to Fjord and... I understand that they are they're part of Accenture, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, they were acquired by Accenture about a um, little over three years ago. That seems to be the uh, the hip thing in the consulting world today is to go out and buy a buy a design firm. That's a, there's definitely been a, a long run of that, and I was a part of um, Frog Design in the past over a number of years. They were one of the earlier. Uh, acquisitions as well. And now uh, Fjord with Accenture is one that, you know, really probably plugs in and makes a whole lot of sense um, in my mind with how we're operating. Uh, but it's definitely design thinking has really matured and been adopted across not only consulting agencies, client side as well. So it's great to be part of a bigger organization pushing that forward. Yeah, very cool. Um, I think there was a article in ad age maybe in less than a month ago at least at the time of this recording that was kind of unpacking all the different holdings from the different large consulting companies and i was i i was familiar with a handful of them but i was kind of amazed at how just how many design firms had been gobbled up here in uh in recent past yeah it's true the landscape's changing quite a bit i mean there are there are a lot of companies especially in around the silicon valley area you look at a lot of digital native companies you know whether it's airbnb or google um, uber and they have a lot of this kind of innovation mindset within and style of designing and, but then also in around other companies on the larger uh consulting side yeah they've there's definitely been a kind of a, a absorption of the sector as a whole um, in terms of being acquired and, and plugging that into the business model at its core. Well, maybe you could tell us a little bit about Fjord and how you guys view service design, what kind of your, your philosophy is around that. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try to do some translation on that. You know, at first it seemed like going into service design was just adding one more level of detail that was difficult to explain to friends and family. Um, but then I found kind of an easier path with it. And part of that lies in, in Fjord's history. Um, you know, as a, as a design agency that really came onto the scene in the mobile era and doing a lot of mobile design. And when we think about the industry as a whole, that mobile form factor was the first time that we were taking a narrower slice of an experience onto a smaller form factor, a smaller device shorter amount of time, um, lighter amount of interaction. And that really gets at maybe the heart of what some of the service design realm is and why Fjord found such a natural fit there. Because how I like to explain it is that, um, you know, service design is more of a larger end-to-end -end kind of process where there may be multiple different products in the middle. There might be several different touch points and some of them are digital and some of them are physical. And we can talk about that in some of the work that I've been doing most recently. But the service design is the intent across 
the whole thing end to end for the consumer. So you're still looking at, well, actually the user, I should say, it's not necessarily consumer based. And what you're trying to do is make sure that you've got that whole arc covered and understood and you can weave um, that on through uh, the different touch points, be them digital or non. So the fact that Fjord started and was working very much in kind of a mobile area meant that whatever they were making, they had to think about the greater service, the other products it was connected to, the other touch point that the consumer had and across that whole arc. So that started to form out some of these different deliverables and mature into what today Fjord talks about in terms of the goal of delivering uh, living services by connecting all of those different points across a kind of story arc, but, um, but driving it and driving it through data and driving it through the evolution of the products. So the, um, yeah, there's, there's a interesting expansion in kind of the talent base. Um, but the core of, you know, human centered design and design thinking is where it comes from. And then we're just extending out a bit farther and we're applying some new tools and methodologies. Well, maybe you could talk a little bit about what, what your role in particular looks like and how uh, maybe a typical day or a typical week or month unfolds for you and kind of how you're involved in that service design process. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I'd be happy to. It, it, my, my role at Fjord, each of the studios, there are about 20 um, globally. They each have um, one or two people in my role, depending on the size of the studio itself. So the title is Group Design Director. And what I really do is I look across kind of both the body of work that we're taking on and the makeup of the team members of indiv and individuals that make that work come to life. And I think that um, markets across different cities are are have their own flavors, you know, in terms of the talent that's there and in terms of some of the local work. And even though we do work, uh, you know, for clients kind of globally, I'm kind of trying to tune my team and what we work on to a lot of what makes sense for uh, San Francisco, the, the place where the designers I show up and work with every day, side by side, um, love to live in and, and love to make home and like to make the work around them reflect um, their beliefs. So. I've got two kind of challenges and they both, they both feed off of each other, finding the right uh, interesting work, you know, and shaping that for our team to take on, but then also shaping and helping guide our team in terms of what disciplines are we taking in or what skill sets do we want to add to or experiment with that can drive us towards the right kind of work. So, you know, I have some, I have great partners that I show up with. Uh, every day and the senior leadership team and then in across the fjord landscape as well to help shape and guide that but um, there's a real vision for you know our local market and where we can go in san francisco and we're really trying to shape uh, a vision and an offering that i would pin down right now um, as kind of an idea to alpha stage very good in the open-ended research driven approach and ideas and but the ability to make build prototype very quickly and get that on up and ready for scale and that's where a really strong partnership with the parent company Accenture comes into play with how we interwork that so so I'm always trying to craft you know both the team and the projects we're after towards towards that um, kind of finer point cool so would would you say your role is more um, kind of oversight of that team, or are you getting into to research, or do you get into kind of visual design pieces, or or how else would you touch or interact with a particular project workflow? Yeah, with with particular projects um, where I come in to play, or with the team in general, there's some hands on work. I do a lot of um, the kind of shaping of the team and the work that we go after. Um, when it comes to the actual individual projects, you know, I would love to spend uh, more time hands-on, but um, then there's there's a lot more on the shaping side. My background and everything, where I do help guide the teams more deeply, is often in around some of the methodology and on the research approach and the approach itself on certain projects and engagements. There's a chance, obviously, to, to still be involved in on some of those un, upfront concepting ideas and then also pushing forward 
bringing in the right team and then the right methods for any of the early prototyping and that kind of thing. My hands-on skills, um, you know, get a little bit more rustier as you start to, you know, navigate mm-hmm. an overall offering and team and studio. But the problem-solving side is one that you can never leave behind. You know, the idea, the the kind of collaborative sessions and leading the workshops, um, the ones even doing day-to-day um, kind of design work. I, I do a, a group of sessions with the designers in our studio where, you know, we have kind of a uh, and and all about the work session where it's really just taking a short window of time and sitting down and looking at any small design problem. There doesn't have to be a lot of setup um, or a lot built around it overall. It's just looking at some of the individual pieces. And, and at any given point, it may be uh, looking at a written up research plan, you know, or it may be looking at actual um simple module of like a multi-select versus single select kind of UI component or element. Mm-hmm. So I still get to spend, you know, a decent part of my day going along and sitting side by side and getting at, you know, real tactical uh, design challenges. I might not carry them all the way through, but I love still being able to be attached to that side of it and just the the problem solving end. And especially across so many different you know, talented people with areas of expertise that they bring to the table and other skill sets outside of, you know, what I built my, my own, um, career and background out of. Sure. Um, maybe for, um, our listeners who are not familiar with Fjord, tell us a little bit about how large that organization is as a whole. And then how would you typically staff a a project team and how many people might be involved with a given client? Yeah, sure. So, so Fjord as a whole, you know, globally, there's, um, there's about 20 studios and we have somewhere between like 800 and 900 employees. Um, you know, the studio sizes tend to average in around, you know, the, the 50 mark or so it's, it's really interesting. They've, they've all grown kind of naturally in and around this pace. I don't think that there's a real pre-prescribed, um, cap or, or smallest number in size, but it's a really nice number being in around 40 or 50 people is a, is a great um, way to know everybody and know their skill sets and have enough, enough within your local studio that you've got quite a bit of, uh, of diversity in terms of the teams and offering. Uh, given that you're talking about just the programs and approach. So uh, Fjord is a very uh, team based design agency the thinking really does have to be diverse and the inputs really have to come across very different disciplines. So whatever challenges we're taking on, you usually do have that core set of there are four to five individuals that are committed to this client's challenge and problem. And that team would range across um, an overall, you know, creative lead and program lead that take it on in terms of its shape and its scope. And then below them, the areas of input um, and contributors around uh, service design, interaction design, visual, data design, creative technology. We mix and match up the teams based on experience, you know, pairs and people who work really well together. But you're always forming these groups and these pods of four or five individuals collectively very smart and able to go at just about everything whether they have the the depth expertise and have done you know that uh clients vertical before or not so we really depend on that though at the beginning is that um you've got multiple different disciplines on a team uh working across it to solve it from the beginning and then the one place that we'd pivot and start to tune ourselves a bit is once we've moved in through a concept phase for any kind of service offering, if we get into building and making something with more focused expertise, then we start to tune that a bit more towards the actual um, thing that we're making. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where the team would shift a little bit. But you can think of a 40-person studio and that there's always these groups of four or five individuals on different um, teams and projects. Very cool. So I, I love the video that you guys have on the Fjord website about kind of unpacking service design and using the example of two coffee shops who sell the exact same product more or less. And the, the price is the same and how, how service design is the thing that can help differentiate that, that customer experience. I'm curious though, 
you know, obviously even in that example of the two coffee shops, one of them gets it and one of them doesn't, but <laughs> how do you guys identify those types of organizations who will make for great partnerships and who will um, best understand how to leverage the benefits of service design? I, I think um, we the, there's one answer, an easier answer in this, in that um, the clients that we're working on mostly have fairly complex businesses to uh, to begin with across the service sector. So mm-hmm. Accenture by nature is involved in, in very large companies and clients with multiple offerings. And therefore, the investment in a service design has got kind of a longer run um, payoff for them. So I, I would say one thing that one thing that differentiates the need in for a service design in where we're working is that there's a real there's a real business value and payoff by mapping um, the the industry and mapping the organization. And I'm not talking just about the product itself, like in some of the coffee example, where you're looking at um, the growers and the supply chain and the shop and its loyalty program and how it talks and, and communicates with the customers. There's all of those different connection points, but then there's also looking at within the company itself, their own in, internal workings of how are they uh, orchestrating themselves as an organization and taking this internal view too of um, what it what it's like to work within that organization and how that organization works and blends with its product. So, one of the keys with the service design is that there is a complex system to wrestle with, and that there are multiple parties to bring together. And if you could provide them with a kind of blueprint and understanding across different silos of their organization, you start to understand how you can push that offering farther and how you can open up uh, new territory for them. Uh, but you have to look across that broader arc. So where do you think those, those clients come from in the case of Fjord? Are those often like fed through the Accenture sales process or do you guys have most of your clients coming in directly through the Fjord door? There's a, there's a couple different ways that products uh, or projects come in. Now there's, uh, it's interesting. Before I was working with Accenture and, and Fjord, a lot of the projects I worked on, eventually, once we got towards some kind of scaled launch, um, their Accenture was involved. And I found in the time that I've been working with Fjord now that there are a lot of opportunities that are open from within Accenture. And our um, we still operate kind of autonomously as a design agency and it's up to us to kind of inform, educate and spread the word of our design services, offerings and service design as a whole to the account leads across many of the clients um, that we end up working with. And so a lot of it in that realm is, is internal. There will be, uh, work that we're doing with a particular client that's, a, that's the right kind of need for Fjord, where we, we can come in and we can actually lead the way on into a bigger engagement um, through the service design offering. So a lot of that comes internally. We are still known um, externally. We don't invest as much in kind of external uh, marketing. Uh, so we're not as visible as some other competitors in that in that space. But mm-hmm. there's also the opportunity to open up a new engagement. And that's happened within you know the past couple of years where sometimes Fjord is the one to go and open up the opportunity. And it, it's partly what attracted um, the partnership to begin with between Accenture and Fjord is that we can very much be a, a starting point. So for you personally, what are um what are your favorite kinds of things to work on or maybe favorite types of challenges to help solve? Yeah, my, my favorite types of challenges are really um, the ones that have asked you to think outside of your area of expertise and, and background. Uh, you know, my favorite challenges are ones where I, I can't necessarily be that person myself. 
you know, uh, it's not a, a maybe the consumer product that I totally understand. I'm dealing with a different mindset. Sometimes I'm dealing with an expert mindset. And on top of that, as as running a studio um, and a lead of a studio, I love the ones that involve disciplines and things being applied to it um, that are kind of new. You know, we started to expand out the design practice for a long time. It was looking like interaction design and visual design. And then a kind of um, technology role of creative technologists was this magic recipe where you could make so many things with those kinds of uh, teams put together. And we've recently started to expand out and add data design as part of a, a practice. And then also along with the creative technology, we've started to look more at people with deeper architecture background and understanding of space. And so now the projects that are super interesting that come in are these combinations where some of these newer ingredients within the design team really pay off and really start to open up some new uh, territory that, and opportunities that you just didn't even um, see coming. So that, that's been really exciting to be a part of lately and, and probably what, I, what I'm most excited about. I don't necessarily pick like an interest of a certain sector or something. And, and when we've kind of polled and, and had conversations and everything around our studio of like, well, who should we go after? What kind of work might we want to do? I find the majority of the people in my studio are just really kind of hungry for really interesting design challenges, but they don't necessarily have to do with a particular sector or vertical or anything like that. They're kind of driven by the same thing. We want to just go uncover something that's kind of unknown that takes the kind of research and insights to, to make sense of it and map it. So you mentioned, you know, the, the delight and something that you didn't see coming. Do you have any, any examples of, of something like that? Yeah, sure. Let me think, um, for something totally, uh, interesting that we didn't see, uh, coming. There's, there's a number of those that have come from projects in the past and I will go to one from, Kind of a, a very long while back, I had worked on an audio interface. This was earlier in my career when I was doing some of the first interaction design projects. And um, I had a program where I was working on something that was more of a, a voice interface um, and led more towards uh, the product of Siri in the long run. But it was a piece of the first kind of early exploration. And an unknown piece or uncovered piece in that one was. Um, you know, it was in around how you could uh, query or ask questions. And on, on one level, it, didn't, it may not have seemed like the, the deepest of programs and that there wasn't going to be a lot of actual visual design work or a lot of deeper product creation. But what became incredibly important was the understanding of the emotions, both between uh, dialogue, like how you, how you ask and are told things and understanding mm -hmm. the mental mindsets of what it means to be told to do something versus ask something. Um, and then on top of it, the second one was how much you tune yourself emotionally um, to sounds and response. So a couple things that I got involved in with that were people who were much deeper in the science of, of linguistics and dialogue. And then secondly, just really, really interesting people to work alongside who were more along the um, auditory side and understanding the emotion and tones of, of uh, sound and how expressive you can be. And they came more from like the sound design of scoring of films. And so you took this like sound design and scoring of films along with like deep um, linguistics knowledge, you know, across um, languages, and then also cultural context on top of it. And what started as a, a program to maybe understand question and response search query, you know, became a really, really rich, um, super interesting program. So, so those kind of discoveries are, are what I love. I, lo I, I love when the challenge leads you down to a path of expertise and, and other things that you've just uh, never known about in the past or opened up. Yeah. I was just talking to a guy that I met recently that runs a PR firm in Bloomington, Indiana, which is just about an hour from here. And he was talking about the, the amazing uh, lack of maybe speed bumps, if you will, when it comes to voice as an interface, it's like the ultimate in 
you know, user intuitiveness that if you just talk to it, you know, you don't have to figure out where the button is and you don't have to, to hunt around and, um, how, how game changing that, that really could continue to be. Yeah. You know, that that's exactly right. And then the only catch with it is comfort Mm -hmm. because it sounds like the easiest interface until you try and do it. Um, you know, even like now where this is a interview as opposed to you and I really just kind of sitting back, having a conversation and a drink and it's going perfectly (laughs) fine and comfortable, but we talked for a little bit before, right? We kind of did a setup and we know a little bit about who's who. And we talked a little and now we're having this engagement. That was one of the things with the voice interfaces is that, you know, we, we know when we know who's on the other side, we know how to communicate really well and we have expectations and we have this mutual understanding. So you look at somebody who, um, you know, has a dog and they can communicate incredibly well, you know, a lot of emotion, a lot of intent, a lot of everything. And that's, that's a very different level, but you understand that, um, I'm catering my speech and reactions and everything towards my dog, you know, um, when you don't know what's on the other side, this is the trick with, I think where we're moving with chatbots and AI and everything else is still essentially that, that challenge is that until you have disclosed the identity and you have a mutual understanding of what kind of dialogue you're going to have and with who that lack of comfort can actually really um, trip up the system. And so that's one of the challenges that we have to solve, I think, here in the future with it is um, what is the personality that I'm talking to and what is their level of uh, interest? Um, what is their intent? You know, we have a lot of that as humans and we can we can very quickly close the gap. But with a system, it's the challenge is, is, is great. It's a big hurdle to get over. Yeah, it's interesting, too, that like when my when I'm in my car and I've got my phone connected via Bluetooth and I try to use Siri, there's a huge latency that I don't experience as much. You know, I still get a little bit of that on the phone, but when I, when I'm in the car, it's, it's much greater. And it's interesting. It's kind of like adding that nonverbal pause of, of uncertainty. And, you know, it frustrates the experience that much more when something's wrong that you have that pause. And, you know, it's, it's interesting how we kind of bake in all those, those human nonverbals, even in something like a, like a delay in response. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The, anything, anything that takes it out of the, out of the norm and out of the conversation seems to stand out a lot more. I think we, we are a lot more perceptive, you know, the, the auditory senses are less tolerant, you know, than some of the, some of the visual in some ways. And then I have to assume your work with Golden State Warriors is to optimize the ability to drain three-point shots. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We need everyone participating in the three-point shoot-off from anywhere <laughs> in the world to bring more competition in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Yeah, the work with the Golden State Warriors will be very interesting as well. Um, it's really going to be the, the Chase Center is the real client. It's the, the new arena. The Golden State Warriors will be a part of it. And they bring, a, you know, obviously a great brand and energy and venue to it all. But for us locally in San Francisco, it's it's really fun because we have to look at what what an arena in the city means to the fans, the local community, and you know the global community connected to it. So it's another one of these ones where there's a move where somebody owns a physical space and a venue, and they're very much connecting that physical space, you know, digitally to everybody. So, yeah, it's pretty exciting. I feel feel really fortunate to have two projects in our in our studio going on right now that that are kind of pushing these areas of technology. Very nice. Well, maybe you could talk a little bit about maybe one of your favorite or proudest professional moments in your career so far. So one thing that was really rewarding when I came over and was in the first few months of working with Fjord and service design and, and making a shift myself from the kind of design teams that I had led into, into a new kind of expanded territory. We had the opportunity to work alongside a program that I don't think many designers often get access to in that it was a very, a program of very, very large scale that will still be going on, uh, but an intense kind of problem um, set. And 
I saw uh, a team of people that I was then just joining and learning their skill sets really apply a set of tools in a way that I thought was incredibly powerful and, and set our client up for success kind of in the long run. There was a, a program working with a state government agency, and their focus was actually in on uh, child welfare services. And it's a, it's a system that is incredibly challenging and the kind of actual, when I say system, like system end of it, the way that things are processed, the amount of um, legal hurdles um, that you have to go through. There's this enormous gauntlet in some of the state and government style work that really does not have very much to do with the end goal that people that commit their careers to it are about. And we had a chance to work with both the technical systems people, as well as the caseworkers and child welfare services, and look at and start to map this kind of divide between the two. And what I saw my team do that I'm, I'm still incredibly proud of the work and the output that they put together. I saw their ability to listen, map, and understand both of those worlds very quickly on a very deep level using a lot of the same methodologies and tools. So they applied kind of a workshop methodology as far as extracting the what were the blockers and the pain points and the things within the system that were that were breaking down what ultimately is about keeping kids safe. Um, so you're able to look at that systems and apply a lot of the same tools in terms of the workshops, the questioning, the, um, the hands-on participatory design sessions with child welfare uh, workers and people who are in the field who are very passionate and get into it for making an environment where kids can be safe. And then going and combining the two, the passions of, of these people and what they see as the insights for how to make an impact and a difference, and then the solving and the, and the uh, unblocking of the system. It was, for me, it was the first time that I had led the team through a true service design offering of Fjord's flavor and gotten to really participate in the methodology and the system. And what I think everyone came away most proud of was seeing how well those those tools worked and feeling personally connected to the client, to the side that were the child um, welfare, you know, pra practitioners, and then as well as those that were trying to drive the system to make it come forward. So, so that one, that one as a whole, in terms of just going at a problem and being able to uh, crack that problem with the skill set and with the team was really, really rewarding. And there's so much to be done, you know, in that sector and some areas where Fjord is involved um, and on that level. And that there aren't many design agencies that get a, a door open um, to do that kind of work, you know, whether it's with the veterans work or, or you know, looking at and trying to solve something with TSA, um, other areas like that. Today, we live in an era where the services are enormous and they're gigantic. I mean, we live in these like massive interconnected systems. And so being able to see, like, what can a team of five do? What can a team of five people who love to show up to work every day that have very different, you know, mindsets and disciplines, you know, just what can they kind of crack open next? So it was really, really rewarding to see that first project kind of happen and then continue to see um, similarly these same types of teams reform again and go after a new challenge. One more thing I'd love to add in here, if we could, is some recent work that we're doing with the city of San Francisco. I'm really excited about this opportunity because it's a chance to apply service design to something here uh, locally in our own home city. Um, we're looking at the issue of homelessness and the role of Medi-Cal, and we're trying to help the city understand the population base and where and how that can be more effective and connected on and through Medi-Cal. So, you know, we're, we're taking that in terms of these two different views, um, mapping a present state of the way that the services are working now and how they're affecting individuals. And then we use that to create a blueprint for the future state. And that hopefully is going to engage a whole number of partners to create a better system. This is one of the things that I'm 
most excited about. I think about the reason things that I'm doing in my role, like who who we can affect and how. And that's the great thing with the service design approach is that you're looking holistically across things. So maybe I can use this project a little bit just to highlight a couple areas in how the service design approach works. And the first one and first kind of principle of that is uh, keeping the user's uh, needs at heart. Um, We keep that really close in understanding how any user is going through a system or a process. So in this case, that involves some of these one-on-one interviews of getting to understand um, the situation more closely. It's really important to have that level of, of empathy and be able to listen and learn and hear. And that's a piece that ties back into kind of my original um, starting point in my career of doing documentary and conducting interviews and listening and trying to draw and connect the most interesting points and the insights. The second thing that's really important in the service design part with this problem in particular is the idea of co-creating too. Um, I mean, you really have to get your head around uh, a problem and go into depth. And you do that best by engaging the right people. Um, these are some of the um, caseworkers and service workers and people with the nonprofit expertise and community activists, understanding from everybody uh, a holistic view of the problem. So we're compiling that together and working with our partners at the city to go and create this, this guide for everyone to move forward on. The last one, when I, when I talk about this view of getting at something holistically, you know, that's partly because of the complexities of the problem. So we've gone, and this is a, a common pathway that we go through, it, we create a journey map first. So this is something where we look across the cycle of, say, from awareness, um, planning, uh, signing up, use, referral, all the things along the cycle of Medi-Cal. But take that and look at it holistically across the whole thing so that we're not going in just trying to find the solution for an awareness plan or to tune the sign-up process um, or look at just the the processes within um, the use case scenario. When we look across everything, we're able to uncover some insights and discover the unknown unknowns. Um, let Let me give just one quick example of that. I know that some of the things that have come through in research have been about substance abuse and looking at that use case. Um, now, one thing that Medi-Cal can uh, be a great provider of is care for methadone. Now, if you're a substance abuse um, patient, then your motivation to go get Medi-Cal uh, may not be that strong, and you might not get past that hurdle of sign-up. Um, your motivation to get care for something like uh, methadone and get access is very, very high. So we can start to string together these points. That's one of the things that we've discovered that we feel like with a little more work, we can unlock placing the right approach to the access to methadone and the right audience at the right time uh, to make a difference. Now, in service design, we're not just trying to click into the one thing with the access to methadone. We have to look across the broader system. We've, we want to unlock dozens of things across all of it and understand how they interact. And that's exactly what the service blueprint lets you do in the end. It will show those cases across the journey. It'll show the opportunity spaces. And we'll turn those then into what can be designed from a UI perspective, from a site or outreach program, et cetera, and give the group something to look at across as a whole. So that's one of the things that that really I'm excited about and why the most recent things in my career are the ones that I love to talk about most. It's really a, a use of a lot of skills that I've had from in other areas. It's that pairing up with a lot of the new designers and talent and people that we're bringing into Fjord that I work with every day. So it's really exciting and always a, a privilege to be able to have a program where you can make some kind of impact like this. Nice. So, Michael, I find that most of the people that we interview on this show um, would define themselves as obsessed with something or another. So I'm curious what you would say that you find yourself most obsessed with right now. Within the design world or just anything? <laughs> <laughs> 
open to absolutely anything. I'll give, I'll, I'm, I don't know, hopefully it's not, not wrong to give to. There, there's a side that I'm obsessed with right now, which is really about um, conversation and human relationships and, and cultural connection. You know, that, that kind of mix that just is about our social beings as a whole. Because I think that when we look back at some of the tech trends, when we look at like last year, we called a couple things out like services with manners. And um, this year, we've got some more stuff on humanizing chatbots. You know, what I'm finding more and more interesting is really the nature of the, the dialogue again, coming down to social norms, getting down to understanding better human relationships. Uh, and how we bring that to the surface to to have something that is a, a more meaningful connection. So the design world is really, you know, I, I love this move that is slowly uh, going uh, less about UI and more about um, connection and dialogue. So, you know, I'm I'm looking to consume any and all I can in that path from a uh, from a technical perspective. Do you have any dream projects that you'd love to tackle in the future? There's some work that I'd love to to come back to. In grad school, I was working in, with a focus on assistive technology. And that was basically you know, a way of applying technology towards something with the uh with the with the disabled and, and those in need. And it's obviously a huge gap and solve that. I think one of the most powerful things that can, technology can do is is enable people to overcome something. And so I had done, um, I had started to experiment and work in the area of the visually impaired and how to kind of translate the worlds from an auditory, sensory kind of environment, you know, on into one that you can navigate um, more easily. And that's an area that I, I would love to begin to explore. Uh, more on and go go more and in, more into depth. So uh, the the solving of of areas where people have disabilities with technology is, I think, an, an open forefront. And I think there's plenty of that coming my way in the future of design. One of the ways I like to think about it is the the we're really fortunate to to work side by side. Uh, with so many talented people in what we design today. But when we look over our shoulder to our left or to our right, um, the majority of us are, you know, within a, within a fairly small age window in terms of who we are as human beings. And we're spending an awful lot of time designing, you know, for ourselves, taking on problems and things that, that meet our own ability bracket and age bracket. And I'm really excited for a chance to expand, you know, that bell curve out designing more for the elderly and aging population and designing for the very, very young and just extending this um, a lot further to cover, you know, a much, much broader spectrum of uh, humanity. What would you say is maybe either your favorite piece of advice that you've received from someone in your professional world, or maybe your favorite piece of advice to pass along to, uh, new members of the Fjord team? I had a, um, you know, a mentor and advisor when I was at ITP. I was, I was one of the very lucky people to have uh, Red Burns uh, or to have gone to NYU's ITP program when Red Burns was there. And um, she, she told me once um, when it was that question about where am I going with my future and trying to pin it down to making the right moves and doing the right thing and setting yourself on the right path. And, you know, her advice has always stuck with me and I've passed it on to other people as well. And she said that, you know, the course that we're following, whether this is in design or any pursuit you're passionate about, there's no clear line, you know, from like point A to point B and where you really want to go. And then the answer about who you're going to become and what you'll be is all in the periphery around you. It happens kind of naturally. And what that, what that means or the translation, you know, that I learned over time of getting to know her better and just trying to translate this is that we're naturally drawn to the things that are going to drive us, you know, along our career path. If we stay curious, if we stay 
interested in making time for the things that we're passionate about, then the pathway that you're headed off, you know, in terms of a career and other pursuit happens naturally. Your direction comes from the periphery. It doesn't come from um, the target that you pinpoint and set yourself um, to go at. So for me personally, that's been really great guidance. And I just try to take a bit of my time and carve off a little bit here and there from my passions and interests, knowing that that investment is the richest one that I can make for, you know, where I want to go or who I want to be. Yeah. Love it. Michael, before we let you go here, I appreciate your time today to chat with us and help us talk a little bit through service design, especially, um, we ended up spending a large chunk of our conversation on the the audio side. So maybe that's something we come back and, and talk more about in the future. But, but before we let you go, maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit about where they could track you down online or learn more about Fjord. Yeah, sure. Um, for Fjord, you can definitely just check out, uh, it's actually Fjordnet is the best uh, URL location, but Fjord Design, look at Living Services. Um, a great thing to take a look at because this is collective work of everybody across the organization. You could take a look at uh, Fjord Trends um, 2017. Um, that's an awesome place to just sort of get an understanding of what people across our company are thinking and where we see some of the things going in the in the future. And then for myself personally, you know, on, on uh, LinkedIn is a, is a good location and michaeljefferson.net is another just uh, home URL location. Awesome. Well, Michael, thank you so much for uh, sharing all of this knowledge with us today. And hopefully we can uh, follow up in the near future to learn some more about this interesting stuff. So thanks for joining us and thank you for being obsessed with design. All right, guys, that was episode number 69 in the books. For all of today's show notes, please head over to obsessedshow.com. While you're at it, please head to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating and review to help others find the show. I'm at Josh Miles, or you can tweet at Obsessed Show to let us know who you'd like to hear us interview next. Obsessed with Design is a product of the Design Obsessed team at Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Our show is edited by Jen Eds at the Brassy Broadcast Company, and our intro music is Matchbox Girl by Cassie Joe. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.